Welcome to the Sales Globe Rethink Sales Podcast. I'm Mark Danolo. And I'm Michelle Seeger. And today we're going to talk about M&A, mergers and acquisitions, as related to the sales organization, Michelle. Yes, we are. Uh, Mark, what we know is that 2021, it was an unprecedented time for merger and acquisition activity. Mm-hmm. And we know that now sales organizations are going to have to deal with the downstream impact. I call it the downstream impact to the sales organization for what the expectations are out of that merger and acquisition. Yep. So today we're talking about M&A, Michelle, as it relates to the sales organization, because too often there's this big vision on what's going to happen with a merger or an acquisition, and then the sales organization is an afterthought, what happens happens to sales. That's right. So in our work, Mark, the reason that we decide to do this podcast is so many times we're called into a sales organization to help them out, to help them realize some of the, the things that they have to do, mm-hmm. which is often a year or more after the acquisition really takes place or the merger takes right, place. Right. So those those big visions aren't aren't happening the way they thought they were going to happen in reality. They sure aren't. And if we look at, you know, why why you and I were talking about why this was a really important podcast, because we know that in 2021 there was more MA activity that took place than at any time in the history of the of globally MA activity. And now we also know that 70 to 90% of mergers actually fail to realize the expected benefit Mm -hmm. of the merger to begin with. So now we're entering a year, it's 2022, and we're entering a time when we've got all this uh, M&A activity that took place and companies are making decisions for what it is that they want to get out of that M&A activity. And the sales organization, as we know, is going to become the the beneficiary, if you will, of, of realizing some of those results. That, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so um, let's get into some of the, the reasons that M&A happens in the first place. Oh, yeah. So we know what a few of those are, Mark. Um, we can start with augmenting offerings. So um, an organization may change their strategy. I, I'm thinking about a very recent merger that we heard about or acquisition that we heard about which was uh, Hewlett Packard. Mm-hmm. They just acquired Poly, right, which right. which is really interesting when you think about it. Hewlett Packard has come out and they said we are going to lead the future of work. And what we also know is that Hewlett Packard said we're leading the future of what they believe is the hybrid workforce. Now I don't know about you, but I know when I think about Hewlett Packard, I think about printers. Like, what do you think about when you think about HP Enterprise? When I think about HP, I have nightmares back to business school with that HP 12C calculator <laughs> that had the RPN that you had to do the calculations backwards. Yeah, there was that. And I'd be sitting in exams that. and everybody would be like clicking away on those things. So I have like these visual reactions. But but now I think about printers, right? Right. Because yeah. I don't use that HP 12C anymore. I just use my iPhone. <laughs> so I think about printers. Yeah, we. I, I guess we really do. And they want us to be thinking about, though, how HP can enable the future of work. Mm-hmm. So they bought a big brand, right. whole new product offering. Now, I don't know what their plans are, but I'm speculating that that's the reason they did that. So that could be one reason. 
So another reason is, you know, it just becomes part of their growth strategy. So think about really saturated markets or, um, you know, there, there's a whole lot of players out there and small players and companies are getting bigger. So it becomes part of their growth strategy to grow by acquisition and not so much uh, organically. And that gives them, you know, greater market coverage, for example. Yeah, so you got a few flavors of that. So you've got yeah. your classic roll-ups, which we're seeing a lot of that in software right now as an example. So you've got a lot of uh, technologies that, um, you know, are in the market and that whole stack can be consolidated. So you have the roll-up. Yeah. Uh, then you have the um, growth strategy where uh, take the cable business or, or wireless business where you have licenses or territories that can be rolled up. So a lot of these companies have grown that way. So, you know, there may be constraints where that's part of the strategy or you can simply, you know, add it on faster that way rather than building it. So the acquisition growth rather than the organic. So there's a lot of reasons why companies, you know, acquire uh, another company. Um, so what is it that if we think about what the companies expect, there's a lot of expectations that come out of the board. It depends who you're trying to please, right? A lot of things uh, that that happen. And what we know is one of them is synergy. Mm -hmm. So that means that what we have seen is, you know, and again, implication sales organization, you've got a, a global company that purchases another global company. How many times have we seen there's more than one country manager? Right, all the right. way down to so many different roles, right? So even if they say, they say, we're going to leave the sales organization intact, at some point, there's going to be a synergy expectation. Right, so synergy is kind of code for, hey, we can get a lot of cost out of the business here because we're going to have redundancy, yeah. right? Yeah. But then you go, okay, well, we got two CEOs, two CFOs, et cetera, et cetera. But then you start working down the line into the sales organization and it gets a lot more complicated. It gets very complicated very quickly. So synergies. The second thing that we see, another big one, is they're expecting increased revenue, mm -hmm. right? So you just mentioned synergy. The expectation is there's going to be a reduction in overall cost mm -hmm. of doing business. But then at the same time, they're expecting an increase in, in revenue, and yep. that's a real, that's a real a tough one. Yeah. So, you know, we think about that. And then, of course, um, there may be an expectation on what's being sold into the market. So think about those bundled products and services as opposed to these two sales organizations that are just going to go out and do their thing, if you will. Right. Right. So, so, you, so you take all those and all those expectations, right? Synergies, increased yeah. revenue. It's part of our growth strategy, et cetera. And... Who wants this to happen within organizations? Well, you've got your deal people, right? You've got your, your, mm -hmm. your people at the head of the organization that yeah. want this to happen. And, and there are certain people that are trying to sell it to the organization, to sell it to the investors. And then what happens? We end up creating really high expectations. And you talk about 70 to 90% failing. We create really high expectations that are hard to, pa uh, to, hard to meet. Very hard to meet. Now, what I didn't hear you say and who I didn't hear you say had a seat at that table mm -hmm. is a sales leader. Mm -hmm. And that's typically what we see. True. So the sales leader has got to inherit it and deal with it, but often doesn't have any say in the augmented offerings or what the growth strategy is going to be. They just have to figure out how to execute on that. So if you take those two big areas, you talk about synergies mm -hmm. and you talk about growth. 
The sales organization is a big part of both of those because synergies, there's so many people in the sales organization for obvious reasons, there's synergy possibilities there. And growth, that's where growth comes from, is from the sales organization. So all sorts of growth strategies, like we're going to sell more stuff, but how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to cross sell, all these different things we're going right. to do. But that would say that if you're going to do an effective job of diligence in the front end of the deal, before you're actually doing the deal, you would have a sales view on it. It may not may not be your chief revenue officer or your chief sales officer, but you have to have a sales lens on this whole thing in the diligence period before you do the deal, just to understand what the realities are. Definitely, and that's what we see is a big miss often. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for for a, a note to you know CSOs, CROs, sales leaders, if you can at least at this point. So we've done some of this work. We've, we've been, uh, some sales leaders have been in a fortunate position where they've at least been able to use a third party to help them gather the information that they need to be able to deal with these downstream impacts or right. the things that they know that they're going to have to do, but they still aren't really able to say, well, we think we can grow by 5% when you know the investors have said it's going to be 15 or whatever the number may be. Mm-hmm. We don't see them having an influence. What we do is we see them having to execute and to realize the benefit that's expected out of the deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you want to get a more realistic idea of what the possibilities are, put a sales lens on it. uh, But then you also have to balance the idea that there's a tremendous motivation to do the deal. So they may not want to hear all that. And then you also have the other side of it, which is you may not have complete visibility on the organization that you're going to acquire or merge with, right? So, so you may often. not be able to see see the details on the other side, so you have to do a little bit of estimation of what, what's going on there. Yeah, so, you know, a good little hint on that one. If, if uh, a sales leader can have the ability to have, like we talked about, a third party go in there and get that information for him or her, the benefit to that, is that when the merger actually takes place and the press release happens, that sales leader has the ability to send out messaging and communications that's really going to resonate because they know what they're dealing with. They already know the players. They understand how the the team is structured, Mm -hmm. what their pay has been. You know, there's a lot of information that we actually recommend that the sales leaders go and, and gather Um, in advance. You can find that actually at salesclub.com. But there's a lot there. But I think the main point there is get the information in advance. Yeah. So know know the implications up front, because if you don't, like you said earlier, you're going to find out sooner or later. That's right. uh, What's happening in sales or what's not happening in sales. Right. So Mark, let's talk about, we, we knew we didn't have a whole lot of time here. So we decided to pick just three different areas that we were going to address that the sales organization inherits, if you will, as a result of expected synergies or increased revenue or whatever whatever the the board has decided or whatever the, the purpose is mm-hmm. of the merger and acquisition. And you touched on the first one. So let's let's talk a little bit about cross selling. Right, right. You know, cross sell, the interesting thing about that is whether you're part of a merger or acquisition or not, cross selling is just so much um, being put on organizations to do. So when I what I mean by that is you may have, without an M&A scenario, you may have an inside sales team that's selling something, a field sales team that's selling something else, and they're trying to figure out how to cross-sell those. Well, it becomes a whole lot more complex when you're talking about cross-selling 
very different products and services from a company that you have acquired. Yeah, so that's that's the great hope in a lot of acquisitions is yes. cross-selling. And yeah. so again, at that high level, at the broad brush level, you're going, okay, well, we have all these complementary products that we can sell. Yeah. When you get down to the sales level after the deal, you find out, wow, maybe our segments aren't the same segments. Or maybe our buyers aren't the same buyers. So if we have a product that we sell to the CIO and then we acquire a company that has a product that gets sold to, you know, another, like the operations organization, you've got two different buyers. So that's yeah. not immediately a cross-sell opportunity. No. Now, I remember you're making me think about a technology company that, um, that we did some work with. And it was, it was about 18 months after the sale had closed and they had not sold, right. they had not cross-sold right. one, not one customer mm-hmm. on their side, not one. And what they determined was that it was the wrong customer. So yeah. when they went in and actually looked at the segmentation, there were so many assumptions around what that customer would buy without actually doing that due diligence. The other thing that we saw happen, that we've seen happen is you talked about how, um, you know, maybe... a particular purchase is oversold. And sometimes there are some flaws in that purchase, but it's too far down the road and they just go ahead and bring it in anyway. There was another case with another client where the product and service, there was that cross-sell expectation. And the issue was the product wasn't up to par with the the core product that the, the, uh, the company, the parent company, was offering into the client base, which was very upsetting to the sales organization. Yeah, and, and, and to customers, too, because it's, it's not up to par, or yeah. there is a brand image from the acquired organization that customers don't respond to. And so now this is being bundled with something that I do like, and I'm being forced to, to buy this thing. So you yep. have to look at customer receptivity as well. Now let's talk about another challenge that happens, and that would be the ability for the the sales organization to sell that product and service. Now, I'm thinking about another client, right? Let's let's talk about when Plantronics bought Polycom. Right, right. So we can talk about that. So Plantronics, just number one in the market for headsets. Everybody knows that, right? They're the ones that went to the the moon, not Mm -hmm, Mars, mm -hmm. right? They were the moon back in the day, right? Not yet, (laughs) not yet. Anyway, they went to the moon. And, you know, great product, and they believe that they needed to augment their um, their offering into the market. And they do a lot of uh, B2B sales, right? So inside sales, wearing the headsets, and then teleconferencing, you know, hardware. Well, they wanted to get into some virtual and other software that would augment them. So software as a service. And they bought a company that did that. That was the Polycom company. Great right. brand, right. right? A bigger presence, I believe, in Europe than than in the U.S. or abroad. And so they they made that acquisition, and there was an assumption that people would be able to sell each one of the products, right? But you've got this transactional product that was handled largely by inside sales. Easy sale, brand name recognition, know what you're going to get kind of thing. And then this software with this long sales cycle, whole lot of complication and technical you know, expertise required and, you know, that can be a real challenge. And we've seen that time and time again where that's not really uh, dealt with up front. And I have to mention one of my favorite examples. Now, this one's from yeah. probably 
I don't know, 20 years ago. This is an old one, So, but I'm not going to name the company, but it was a very large transportation shipping company that we all know. And they wanted to get into the financing business. They wanted to get into the capital business. And they Mm. thought, well, we're going to start and also acquire some companies and build blank capital, right? And our packaging salespeople are just going to go in and they're going to offer financial services to the customers as well. Wow. Well, obviously it's a completely <laughs> different buyer, right? <laughs> but they did it. And, wow. and, but the, and the reps weren't able to do it, but they did it and they realized, <laughs> oh, you know, the logistics manager's not buying financial services yeah. or, or, you know, receivables factoring or leasing or anything like that. That's not who's buying it. And so wrong buyer. And then they didn't have the skills to do it as well. Cause you know, a person yeah. who's selling shipping services doesn't know much about financial services, but that was such a poster child long time ago, but it was such a blatant one. It was amazing that that actually happened. Wow. So it happens every day. All right. So the big takeaway is on cross-selling. It's going to start with, okay, make sure that you look at your customer segment. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. And understand, like, you know, we, I remember I, I was part of our approach is that we look at the customer segments of both companies and what's the same and different. Because oftentimes even there's an assumption around what was used to identify that customer segment. And sometimes those are different company to company. Mm -hmm. So they're not necessarily apples to apples. So look at your segment and then also understand how that product and service is different from what you're offering today and what needs does the organization have to even enable that. Yep. All right, so let's shift over to sales roles now, Mark. And and when we think about that, the biggest challenge is the integration of different sales roles from the different companies, right? right? right. So we see a lot of challenges around, you know, what that looks like. And it really starts with the title of the roles. And there's this underlying assumption that because I'm an account manager, I'm an account manager at company A, I'm probably the same at company B. So there's the the question of title. And, and it's like that old adage, you know, you can't judge a job by its title. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's the question of titles, but then there's also the question of function. So it's also assumed the same. If I am an inside sales rep, mm-hmm. I'm a field rep, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm doing is the same yep. from company to company, yep. right? And I'm just using, you know, inside and and field because there's some assumptions around that. And I'll bring up an example of a high-tech company that we did business with. And uh, in that example, we had two inside sales positions. And the parent company, that inside sales position was paid significantly less than the inside sales rep at the company they were acquiring. I remember that, yeah. Remember that? Mm -hmm. And, you know, through that due diligence, we, we were able to understand Uh, what was different and why. But in the meantime, before the merger even was finalized, what we found is that, you know, the rumor mill hit, right? It hit globally. And a lot of people from that other company just started to jump ship because they believed they were going to work for a company that was a a really low payer, if you will. That's high tech company, Mm -hmm. which traditionally pays better than many other companies. Mm -hmm. So, Let's discuss a little bit about what was different on those roles. Um, the parent company, 
inside sales was an entry level role right. that would lead to field sales. Right. A lot of the business that they did, it was really inbound lead generation, mm-hmm. very transactional product that had a global brand name associated with it, very easy to sell. And people would often just, you know, buy it, for, could buy it from the internet as well through e-com. So then you've got this other company that has a highly sophisticated software that they were selling and a lot of virtual demos happening. And I believe it was something like 15 to 20 years experience required to do that job. And those people earned quite a bit uh, compared to the other. So really just very different jobs, even though they had the same classification or maybe even the same title. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's a, a tricky one is just, or one thing to really think about and consider is don't make assumptions that just because you're inside sales or you're an account manager, or here's a good one. I heard somebody talk about a BDR, Mm -hmm. business development rep, Mm -hmm. and they were talking about that being an inside sales function that, you know, uh, does this uh, digital marketing lead qualification. When we have another client that I'm thinking of right now, where BDR was actually one of the most important field sales roles that they had that was right. out there right. you know, to get new, very strategic business for the client. Yep. So again, the title does not tell the whole story. Or what was the, what was the thing? The you can't judge thing? a job by its title. Exactly. Right. So you can't judge you a job know. by its title. You never know. So what to do? Yeah. What do you do? Well, you have to have some way to classify, line them up, compare them. That's right. Yeah. So we, we do a couple things here. And one is this role matrix that mm-hmm. we talk about, which is really um, nothing more than an extension of something that we've been doing for a, a long time at Sales Globe around these sales dimensions of a sale of a sales role. Yeah, yeah. And what we know is that there's like six key dimensions. I'd like you to talk the about six those. dimensions. Yeah, that, that's yeah. our biggest hit actually. Yeah. Oh, biggest hit online. The, the, the six dimensions. Yeah. Six like dimensions. It's bigger, of better a sales than the fifth role. dimension. Yes. Oh boy. <laughs> so, okay. You want, so you basically, so so if you just take a matrix and you put together, you know, the jobs from company A and company B, mm-hmm. and you're evaluating what they do, you could be missing things, right? So yeah. what we want to do is we want to look at those critical dimensions of what makes a job. So there are six of them. Uh, there's an article out on the Sales Globe website at salesglobe.com. But just in summary, they are uh, your strategy, mm-hmm. your sales strategy, which is is it selling to new customers? penetrating current customers or retaining current customer revenue. Um, what segments does it work with? Yeah. Could be customer segments that are, say, major accounts or middle market or small accounts, or they could be designated by industry, perhaps. Uh, what offer do they sell? And so if they sell a single product versus they sell a full portfolio of products, you're asking them to do more with a full portfolio. And then you say, okay, we're going to take an acquired company and we're going to merge that together and you're going to sell even more. So yeah. you get more stuff in your in your portfolio and your quota goes up, but you expand the bandwidth out too much and then the job becomes ineffective or less effective with too many, too many products it has to carry. Uh, sales process, same thing. Are they doing lead generation to close to implementation or are they doing some piece of that? Uh, technical knowledge, so that they have to have technical knowledge about the product, or do they get help from somebody like a systems engineer or a sales engineer? And then finally, management responsibility. So some jobs are selling sales managers, so mm-hmm. it's kind of a hybrid. So the more you say yes to any of those, 
the wider the bandwidth gets and the less effective the job gets. So you need to line those up, though, between the two or three or more companies and make sure you're actually comparing on those dimensions. Yep. So you've got those six dimensions you look at. And then we also ask, you know, and this is data that's readily available from the company, is that you look at things like, what is the tenure of the people that are in the jobs today, mm-hmm. but then also the experience level that you expect, right? So we, we look at things that on the uh, job requirements, it's how many years experience, so three to five, 10 to 15. Is there certain schooling or requirements, certifications that you have that are, that are needed for that particular role? What are the key responsibilities that they do? So all of that information coupled with the six dimensions of the sales role, that you line that out into a matrix and then you can start mapping where jobs are similar and where they are not. Mm -hmm. And that can help you understand really what you're looking at. And you know what we didn't talk about? One of the other challenges in these different sales roles is the the rules of engagement. Right. How do they work together? Yeah. Yeah. How are they going to work together? You know, that's a good point because in one company, you may have a field sales rep and an inside sales rep, and they work together. And in another company, you may have a field and inside sales rep, and they each have their own territories, and they actually might even compete. And I've seen it where... They're, they even have the same accounts, and one sells one product group and the other sells another product group. And yeah. so you've got to make sure those rules of engagement are the same and, and the job rules are the same. So you've got rules of engagement uh, questions around the, the sales roles themselves mm-hmm. and then rules of engagements with, um, with regard to customers because you can also have two companies, it happens a lot, that are servicing the same customer right. and in a very different way. Yep. So know who the buyer is, know what the sales process looks like, that cycle, sales cycle uh, support. And and one we, we need to mention as well is talent. Yes. So, okay, so you, you've architected what the jobs should look like or how they're going to come mm-hmm. together, but then you need somebody to go within those jobs and work within those jobs, right? So there's a person that, that performs that job. And, and that requires a certain type of sales DNA, as we call it, right? So yes. the DNA for a Doberman or a hunter is going to be different than the DNA for, say, uh, a retriever or what you might call a farmer or a collie, you know, which is protecting the base, right? So different DNA pools. But even in the same job category, an account manager in one company might have a different DNA than an account manager right. in another company. And yep. so you're trying to merge them together and, and and you've got like a whole pack of dogs that are that are dissimilar, right? So you've got to figure out what's the optimal profile that we're really looking for because you're probably going to be doing some of this rationalization and looking for synergy. So you have to decide how you're going to make those selections too. Yeah, and i just like to clarify, for those that do not understand or, or know about Sales Globe's approach to defining the sales roles. Mark isn't calling everybody a bunch of dogs right now, just to be clear. It's, it's the, the technical term, it's the canine model. The canine model. And, yeah. and really what that simply is, is we talk about hunters and farmers and you like to say the hunter farmer is... It's too, too black and white. It's too binary. I mean, you got a hunter and a farmer Yeah. and the hunter could get and tired and, and become a, could become a rancher, right? Yeah. But that's all you got, hunter, farmer, rancher. But there are, there's an amazing array of canines, right, that describe yeah. sales roles. You've got, you know, the ones we described there, you've got pointers, you've got, you know, retrievers, you've got specialists, right? You do. Yeah. Right. So 
So, right. Uh, so for more about that, what your CEO needs to know about sales comp. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So we got a little bit into rules of engagement, uh, talent. And, and I think when we talk about the role matrix, what we just want to look at is what is the type of DNA that you expect from that role? We'll talk about the people a little bit later when we talk about pay. But this is on the matrix. You're, you're looking at what the inventory looks like across those roles, but you're really saying instead of looking at the individual level, you're looking at the role level, the, t- the title, the role, responsibilities, the dimensions, what you expect out of that. And uh, so once you do that, then you can understand a little bit more about why mm-hmm. there may or may not be differences in mm-hmm. those roles. And then specifically we'll talk about uh, pay because that's our next next big area yeah, we want to address. Everybody's favorite topic, pay. Everybody's yeah. an expert, but everybody needs some advice. That's exactly <laughs> right. Oh my. So the big things that we see um, across the organizations is for assumed, and then sometimes it's not assumed. You've done your role matrix, but we see overall pay differences. Mm-hmm. So the total pay is just different. That's right. one piece. Right. Mm-hmm. Another piece we, we see is that the pay mix may be very different for similar roles. And pay mix, which is really just the percentage of base pay to incentive at target, and target we know is total target compensation at quota, right? So we know that there are pay mix differences, and that can be really significant when you look at, you know, presumed similar jobs, and one may have, you know, a pay mix that we would call a highly leveraged role, Mm -hmm. which would be one that has, let's say it's a 50% of your total target uh, compensation and 50% is actually pay at risk versus a a role that's less highly leveraged as we like to call it. And that might be something like 80, 20 or 90, 10, Mm -hmm. right? So that can, that can be very different across uh, jobs. And then finally the jobs that are presumed to be similar. And then finally incentive plan differences. So you've got those three things that can impact the same role across different companies. Yeah, and the pay mix is critical. It's not It's not an academic thing because pay mix is the single biggest driver of behavior in the compensation plan. So if you had two account manager jobs in different companies and one was, like you said, a 50-50 mix, the other was an 80-20 mix, mm-hmm. you're going to have two different types of behavior. The 50-50 mix is going to be probably more aggressive, more Doberman-like behavior, and the 80-20 mix is going to be probably more retriever, account manager type behavior. So you put those two together in the same job, you're going to get two different types of performance, uh, which you don't want. You want consistency. Right. So then, you know, let's talk about some things that you can do. So we talked about those three different things that can happen with presumed similar roles. You've got pay differences, overall pay, the pay mix differences, and then incentive plan. So the first thing we say is don't do anything Mm -hmm. until you've done your role matrix Mm -hmm. and you've understood what it is that you're really dealing with, what jobs are really alike and what are not. And then we also would have them kind of look at what does that new sales organization, what is that going to look like? So I think you want to address those things before you just go in and randomly change the pay Yeah, so so you've got to have it planned ahead. Uh, you have to keep in mind that the the role design is going to be the foundation for the compensation design. Yes. And you mentioned pay competitiveness or differences in pay levels. Uh, the reason you want to plan ahead on this is so that you don't get caught 
behind when the acquisition goes final and and the new op, new organization is operating because what happens well competitors are they're lurking around they're waiting they're waiting mm-hmm. you know in the skies the, they're those little black spots you see in the skies yeah. circling above your organization in fact i saw uh, one example, which I thought was really colorful just a couple of years ago, it was a call center. Uh, I think it was in, in Texas, and the competitors had actually put up billboards near the call center about their organization and their great jobs wow. and great pay, right? So they're going directly after the people as they're driving to work. <laughs> right when, there. Back when people used to go to work. Boy, yeah, yeah the, no shame <laughs> there, huh? Yeah, no, no. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Great, great, great uh, tactic. Yeah, so... The other thing that we we really do recommend or encourage is done before you even change pay would be look at the performance. So run some analytics and really understand what you're dealing with because these blanket pay increases that, you know, a company may be compelled to do may not be appropriate. So are you really going to raise the pay significantly of poor performers, for example? So we ask people to do some due diligence around just what's the data telling you around the, the people, and then you can really look at pay treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're connecting all those pieces together, then you're connecting together your um, organization and, and role design with yeah. the talent that you need, with the pay that's going to be driving that. Yeah, so there's a lot to think about. Uh, so in summary, we discussed that there are a lot of challenges in M&A for a sales organization, and there's more information. In fact, we have a, an article that we just released that's on our website. It's mm-hmm. called The Urge to Merge mm-hmm. and Things You Can Do About It. And we've also got those six dimensions of the sales roles. So anything that you can do around due diligence in advance of a of that merger acquisition closing would be really the number one piece of advice we would give any sales leader and manager Um, And then just that whole role calibration piece, don't underestimate that before you jump to a lot of conclusions around what you should do next. So it's, it's quite a, so so then basically be ready, look at it in in your, in your diligence. Don't, don't uh, miss the whole sales implication and then be ready when the whole thing goes live so that you're not caught in a bad position. That's it. So thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, Mark, thank you for your insight as well. Well, thank you, Michelle. Yeah. All right. You're (laughs) welcome, Mark. So anyway, we really appreciate all of you for listening today and hope that it was helpful. And we will see you the next time. All right.